0: You are listening to Social Groove on Red Podcast.
1: Hi there. Here we are with what we could call a farm-fresh episode of Social Groove, the podcast from Red FM that discusses issues related to social and environmental development with guests who make good things happen. I'm your host, Madhavan Narayanan, and you can follow me on Twitter at Adversity. With me is Meena Vaidyanathan, my co-host, been tracking the many dimensions of the social sector business with her team at niti consulting and uh, this week or this episode rather we travel to the countryside to look at what is being done or not being done to help farmers who need much more than tears of sympathy from urban indians who eat the stuff they grow the government really opened up the agricultural markets to help farmers get better prices removing uh, socialist controls on trade that go back to the days when food prices and shortages had to be managed aggressively because the urban consumers and the rural farmers have both interests that need to be sort of balanced but is the good uh, system right now good enough for farmers to gain from the new round of liberalization that's a big question
0: let's take a sto- let's take stock of the ground realities perhaps the government offers to farmers something called as the minimum support price or MSP, as one sees in media stories, to cushion them from a fall in the prices of stuff they produce. That is, in many ways, an incentive for them to invest in crops. However, in a recent survey by Garm Connection, a publication that tracks rural issues, noted that in reality, nearly 44% of those farmers whom they surveyed with said they did not get a fair price for their crops. About 20% reported climate or weather-related problems. It's not just that. An OECD report said that between 2000 and 2017, Indian farmers may have lost as much as 45 lakh crore rupees. That's about $6,000 billion US dollars because they did not get fair prices. The IO published in a report in 2016 that said that 10, only 10% of farmers actually knew what rates could uh, they could expect from minimum support price plan before harvesting season every year. That's on one side, which actually means faulty planning. But on the other, there is the launch of platforms like the National Agricultural Market, a pan India electronic trading portal that networks, government, organized mandis into unified national market for agricultural commodities. But this is not quite your Amazon or Flipkart for markets who lead a rural life.
1: Well, the National Commission on Farmers, headed by Dr. M.S. Swaminathan, who is often called the father of India's green revolution, listed a whole load of issues that have caused an agrarian crisis in India. You know, this word you keep hearing in news bulletins and newspapers, but can't really make sense out of. But there's a whole lot of issues in this, like poor land reforms, Inadequate amount of quality of water or amount or quality of water, lack of credit, confusion over technology and uh, a lack of marketing, which, uh, as you know, farmers are not really MBAs and that is a problem. And then there is the eternal difficult weather problem in a country that is, you know, dependent on monsoons. The biggest of the National Commission's recommendations was to give farmers a minimum support price at 50% profit above the estimated cost of production. All that sounds quite messy because the government has only so much elbow room in its budgets. And if it were to announce higher prices for farmers, it means having less money to spend on other things, let's say like roads or some kind of incentives for education. Uh, What are the missing bottlenecks and linkages so that farmers really get a fair deal that's a tricky question because better prices for farmers could mean costlier items on your dining table in the city. Add to this the fact that we are a monsoon dependent economy that I've mentioned earlier, and truant trains can spoil the best laid plans. Now, who are these friendly angels who could actually take the humble Kisan, often in the news in the past decade, for tragic suicides from distress to prosperity? We speak to rural management experts to know what it really takes. Our guests today are two distinguished specialists. Uh, Dr. Shambhu Prasad is a professor at the Institute of Management Anand in Gujarat. Dr. Prasad blends work on entrepreneurship, science, technology, and the management of collectives, which is so important for farmers. He was a research fellow at the U- Cornell University in the U.S. a few years ago as a Fulbright scholar. As you know, it's a prestigious scholarship, and he also serves on the boards of a few nonprofit organizations. And his recent book, which has an exciting title, "Farming Futures," tracks emerging social enterprises in India. We also have with us Mayank Gandhi, who's an associate vice president with a firm that is called Dehat, a nice pun on village markets and the Hindi word for the countryside. And Dehat is an actually um, it's an aggregate tech startup that helps the farming community. Mayank spent nearly a decade setting up farm-to-fork supply chains. For fruits and vegetables in Uttar Pradesh, Madhya Pradesh and Chhattisgarh and guess what they even use artificial intelligence to help as many as 165,000 farmers to find a better deal for their produce. Let's see what it takes or what they have to say on this. Welcome gentlemen.
0: Welcome uh, okay. Shambhu and Mayank. Really uh, happy to have you. So Shambhu first I'd like to ask you yesterday I paid 60 rupees for a kilo of onions in my local market. How much of that money do you think actually goes back to the farmer? What fraction of this would they get?
2: My own sense is it might vary from place to place, but uh, effectively and commodity-wise as well. So onion probably you're talking about, you know, 8 to 10 rupees or so. But if you were to do the same with milk, and that's been the major success story of Amul, is that, you know, if you are buying milk, either from Amul or Mother Dairy or any of these places it's probably 85 paise to the rupee that's to go to the farmers directly but uh, that kind of aggregation doesn't happen across commodities Uh, Mayank might have more details on what's happening on the ground
0: help me understand so do farmers really know uh, what prices they are supposed to get for a particular produce that they have whether it is wheat or rice or any vegetable or whatever and do they get the prices that then they think they should be getting
3: Mine? Yes, sure so Meena, it depends upon which commodity the farmer is dealing in so let's take for example highly perishable commodities such as vegetable. Now in case of vegetable, you have to harvest it in a particular time frame you can't let it grow much older, you can't harvest it much younger, it's a particular time frame in which you have to harvest it So, for example, I have a window of five days to harvest it. I harvest it, and then I have to sell it, or else it will be rotten. The farmers, even if they know the prices, they don't have much choice. They need to find a bulk buyer, and most often the bulk buyer is found in the nullies. So, they have to go and sell to the nullies, where the price is pre-decided by the APMC committee, and that's how they have to sell. In case of non-perishable commodities like rice, maize, uh, wheat, the farmers also know the prices, but in the supply chain, the margins are very less. So, the major valuation happens at the retailer, other uh, aspects of the supply chain, the margins are uh, lesser than 5%. The farmer again wants to find a bike car, they have spent 3 to 4 months in getting that crop ready. They have put all their resources, their money, they have taken loans, they have to pay back to the diesel guy, they have to pay back to the insurer, they have to pay back to the creditor. So they need to liquidate the stock as soon as possible because they have many liabilities at out there. So again, it's the bulk buyer whom they are looking for and the bulk buyer will definitely want to buy it for cheap.
1: Tambu, I would like you to clarify the picture because what Meena touched upon and what you mentioned assumes that This is the way things are, but this is not the way the state policy or the government policy is made. You're supposed to have support prices that are good enough and remunerative enough for the farmers. Where then is the problem? You think the prices are too little? Because I remember Dr. Swaminathan uh, headed a national commission on agriculture. There seems to be a lot of politics. We've been talking about the report that promises 50% uh, above the cost that should be given to the farmers.
2: Where then is the problem? Is it just that we are paying a lip service to farmers and all this? Arvind Subramaniam brought this out quite well in a document where he says that the support structures that we have from policy often is very skewed to certain kinds of commodities. So, it doesn't exist for most of the other kinds of crops. Not for vegetables and fruits and so on. And uh, even the kinds of subsidies that we have is probably targeted much more at larger farmers and not so much access by small and marginal farmers who constitute uh, almost 80% of the countries. Uh, you know, there are certain commodities where we've kind of given a lot of investment in subsidies and they probably have a larger voice. Credit also is highly skewed to certain kinds of regions and types of farmers and so on. Uh, so that's actually where the distortion happens in uh, agriculture.
0: So one of the uh, you know in mind you talked about it uh, so and from what you say Shambhu if an you know, in India produces fresh produce worth of about you know 13,300 crores from what I read is wasted every year because we don't have enough old storages and refrigeration facilities tying in with what you just said about you know the farmer being forced to accept a price because she or he does not have the ability to store it for a longer time, so they have a very small five day window in which to sell it. So, actually, does creating these structural infrastructure like cold storages or better warehouses for stocking these fresh produce is that perhaps an opportunity for us to improve prices for farmers?
3: Uh, Meena, it depends on the commodity and its price. Sure, sure. So, uh, my practical experience tells me that it depends on the price of the commodity so for example if you are dealing in apples which generally sell around 150 rupees in retail, you can employ cold storage facilities for apple because uh, the percentage of the retail price would be uh, which would contribute to the uh, cold storage infrastructure would be 1 to maximum 5 rupees at each uh, and when you see the percentage in 150 rupees it's very less whereas when you uh, try to think of post storage facilities in the commodities which are very lowly uh, priced uh, retail price is very low let's say uh, potatoes, onions it becomes very difficult in those circumstances because uh, you might incur more and you might increase the cost price of your product and the uh, retail price depends on the demand supply pattern So, you might enter 30 rupees a kg uh, in in making 1 kg potato accessible, but you might get 15 rupees in return. So, uh, the price factor is very important in that case.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, sometimes the infrastructure again is, uh, you know, the major challenge that the farmer faces is often the need to try and get the money immediately after a long season of harvest. So, he or she wants to dispose it as quickly as possible and works with the kind of channels that exist around. Cold storage facilities are sometimes too far away. Again, most of the cold storage facilities are used for crops like potato largely and many other crops don't have the same kind of access options. Uh, Availability and affordability is also an issue for most small farmers. So some level of aggregation is necessary uh, to try and get the farmers a bit of it's an unequal exchange with the market that is there, mm-hmm. and uh, unless you look at it, you know, across the value chain, it does become an issue. Yeah, I think
1: that's an interesting point. Let's let's now you were talking about unequal exchange, that uh, brings me back to what you've said earlier, uh, uh, Shambhu, which is about large farmers not only getting uh, better prices for the commodities they typically grow, but even the financial systems like the banks seem to be skewed in favor of uh, larger farmers i think in an ideal environment the bank should help the smaller farmers and the bank uh, there should be urban entrepreneurs you know we were talking cold storage and you know for instance there's a company called snowman logistics which is now owned by the adanis you know big business so uh, we have to look at entrepreneurs on the one hand processing the kind of products that farmers produce and on the other hand banks and financial institutions helping them from the supply side from the uh, input side so that they become stronger but on the other hand we keep hearing stories about farmers uh, getting benefits from loan waivers before elections and that bank the banks are losing and all that what, what exactly is the real picture are banks and entrepreneurs really helping farmers is it true that farmers are kind of gaming the system? Let's have your views on that and maybe mine
2: can come in later on that. Yeah, so the loan waiver issue is, uh, you know, sometimes a palliative, which is temporary. Sometimes the essential issue which farmers have been facing for close to a decade is an increase in input prices and and, you know, commodity prices internationally have been stagnant in the last few years. So their margins are highly squeezed. So they often are at the risk of not even getting... A reasonable return from what they invest so having done so much amount of work there is a certain importance to try and say okay we need to survive so I think loans waivers as a temporary measure is is okay but uh, in terms of the quantum it isn't as much as it's made out. obviously loan waivers do create a certain disruption of the banking system I think we need a longer-term perspective which is essentially about trying to increase farmers' income and make them more into an entrepreneurial mode instead of trying to see them as, you know, I mean, it's more the attitude that we have to farmers that they are poor people, they need our support and we need to constantly keep giving them rather than empower them to try and take greater control of the value chain, which will actually work better for the system across. Mike, you have to say something on that?
3: Yeah, just I would like to uh, to, uh, start considering farmers as businessmen uh, rather than just farmers which brings in more of a protectionist approach and then bringing those businessmen and uh, seeing the role of the government as a facilitator for those businessmen. Uh, rather than again bringing in policies or schemes to uh, and seeing them as beneficiaries so that changes the paradigm that helps to facilitate better business opportunities for the businessmen and maybe think of ease of doing business for a farmer that would be a uh, much that's better a great approach. idea
1: that's a great idea ease of doing business for farmers you know everybody thinks, talks only about big business and you know, uh, power plants and uh, manufacturing industries having ease of business. How about ease of business for our own little farmers? You know, that's right. Meena, you want to join in? Yeah.
0: The one actually very interesting point that you raised. So has internet made a difference then or can it make a difference if farmers, for example, know have adequate information and they're not dependent on someone else coming and telling them whether it is about inputs, whether it is about pricing, whether it is about availability of cold storage or, you know, uh, market linkages, etc. So do you think that can actually or is currently being a big enabler? Uh, to make farmers into a self-sustaining micro-enterprise,
2: Shambhu? Mayan can give more practical examples, but uh, their own efforts in trying to use technology to make availability of information makes it much easier today than it was some time back. Farmers are using various methods to try and access the markets much better now. But I think I would just have a word of caution on trying to think that the internet alone can actually make a huge transformation or technology alone can make a big difference. If you do not look at the existing power relations that are prevalent in the uh, farming system and there's there's been a legacy around it, internet is not going to make a big change in these structures. So you may end up replacing one middleman with another, but I think can internet, yes, in terms of information, but we need to push it further towards empowerment of farmers owning up Larger parts of the value
0: chain. Can you give some examples perhaps which will articulate on how internet has made a difference? Where it's made a yeah, difference?
3: Sure. I'll share example of our organization Deha. How we are doing in Deha is that as a very simple concept that any business needs consultancy. Any business needs advising. So we have a dedicated call center for farmers. Where it is manned by agricultural scientists. And those agricultural scientists are available uh, for most part of the day. They take calls of farmers and they give them advisory on technical methods which they can employ for better productivity or better farming techniques. Then we have a franchisee model in which we make good uh, variety of seeds, good variety of fertilizers and chemicals for farmers uh, which they can use in their farms. And we have a uh, satellite image processing uh, technologies available. Uh, which will be, which help us track the progress of the field. Like, for example, we know that, that this particular farmer has used ABC chemicals in his field and what is the progress of the crop. So we have that satellite imagery processing techniques to track the progress uh, of the farmer, whether the farmer is able to take advantage of the facilities the hut is providing or not. And then we have a uh, marketplace in which uh, which will be rolling out soon. In which the farmers can uh, actually uh, sell their produce. They can, just like a merchant or trader, they can put their commodity on the marketplace on their And then other big traders, other big buyers can go and see which farmer is selling what. So, all these technological interventions we are doing at their Again, with the sole aim to help farmers do their business more efficiently, both, uh, in a better for an environment.
1: I think, Mayank, I need to uh, hit you a bit more on this because you seem to be doing some of the work that the government claims to do, uh, such as through the, you know, they have your own Kisan call center. They have the agricultural extension centers and Kisan, Vigyan, Kendra and stuff like that. So I want to know uh, more about Dehat itself. Who are you, who funds you and how can you stretch yourself to a limit where you're trying to do like a, you know, sounds like a dream when you're, you know, touching everything from satellites. I believe you even have artificial intelligence helping you. How much can sure. so much technology come out of us? What looks like a relatively small NGO,
3: I mean, I'm sorry, Mazanji, it's not an NGO. We are a private limited company. And how Dehat started, it was started uh, way back in 2011, when mm-hmm. our founder, Mr. Shashan, mm-hmm. uh, he wanted to build an organization, which is a one-stop solution for farmers. So, Mm -hmm. for example, a farmer needs five to six kinds of supports. They need support with inputs, they need support with credit, they need support with machinery, they need support with insurance, they need market support, they need advisory support. So, all these supports are available in the market. Like, some works are done by the government, some works are done by private sector, like chemicals are being sold in the private sector through various organizations. Bayer is doing it, FCO is doing it. For credit, there are banks... For insurance, there is a crop insurance scheme. For machinery, there are various players in the market. But all are not synced with each other. That's the major problem. Everyone is working with the sole aim of getting their profits uh, in hand. Now, Dehart saw this problem as that of an aggregation. That what exact problem the farmer is facing, Dehart can be a one-stop solution for farmers, understand their problem, Design the advisory in a customized manner and deliver the right kind of product or service for the farmer So if a farmer needs an advisory, we have a vertical working on that If a farmer needs good crop inputs, we have a vertical working on that And then we track the progress to various verticals At present Okay
1: I got it. I got it. Just before we come to Shambhu on this, because I want Shambhu to say something on this. But my, very quickly, who pays you for all this? It's very clear because I don't see farmers paying the way, uh, consulting the way, say, a manufacturing company would pay. Uh, what's your revenue model?
3: So, for advisory services, uh, it runs through a call center and an app. For so both, we don't charge anything to the farmers. It's a free consultancy for services. Whereas for... Sale of inputs, we operate through a franchisee model in which uh, there is a person in the village who sells seeds for example. We tell that guy that, hey, you don't want to stock in a lot of inventory for seeds, for fertilizers, for chemicals, for other services. We will send you through our own supply chain. You just need to be our access point in the village. So that particular person is our franchisee, whom we call as a Dehati or a Dehat Center. But you know, that, that person connects us with the farmers, that person is our face in the market of farmers and farmers pay for those services. Very good. as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, they would like to access a better service.
1: I got it, got it. So Shambhu, very quickly, what do you think? Of, I mean, I was trying to mention ITC's eChopal. You know, everybody keeps hearing about these
2: fancy organizations. Do you have to say something on this whole new, uh, what I call the modern middleman? So, just to contextualize some of these initiatives, I think one thing we need to appreciate is the: is where does a farmer get his or her knowledge from? And I think with the great fall in public extension systems over the years, a farmer is actually accessing most of the information with often the input dealer. And very often the input dealer doubles up in terms of providing credit. And based on the margins that are there for whichever kind of pesticide or fertilizer, he he or he pushes a certain kind of product. Aniket Aga calls this merchants of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Actually, they are determining how things are being uh, used by farmers. So they end up with a much inappropriate kind of situation. And then sometimes, in the case of excessive uses of pesticide, there is a treadmill that leads them to greater kind of despair. So. The failure of extension systems and information is actually an important element which has opened up spaces. So some of it is being very well used by social enterprises like uh, Dehat and others in providing these services. But the scope is a lot. Uh, ITC's eChopal has just finished 20 years and so on. But I think they've done some remarkable work in trying to use and get more information. But you do also have... uh, Ph.D. thesis which is called Rethinking Revolutions by Richa Kumar from IIT Delhi which kind of again brings out this element that the focus has always been on the larger farmers. Small and marginal farmers sometimes tend to get ignored or neglected from some of these kinds of solutions. So that's a continuing challenge for most Indian farmers.
0: This is a fantastic conversation. In fact, there is so much more to talk and so much more to learn. I wish we could sort of go on perhaps in another episode of uh, social group we would love to continue this conversation but my big takeaways are the real change and uh, will come when we start treating farmers as business people and just like they set up a micro enterprise you know they have access to finance they have access to support and they have access to markets and there is a seamless aggregation of this value chain and i think then we can see a true change technology as i understand from you helps in democratizing knowledge but it's not a magic wand really technology really needs to be combined with empowering all sections of farmers and not just be skewed to large or a certain type of farmers so fantastic conversation madhavan you want to add thank over? you
1: yeah oh, all i can say is that we seem to have a uh, same story you know in the industry we have the smes Small and medium enterprises being left out, and in agriculture, we could call them SMFs, perhaps the small and medium farmers being left out. So I think it ultimately boils down to big fish and small fish, and unless and until we can think of financial as well as institutional uh, structures that can, uh, you know, address the small and medium types, uh, we're probably constantly heading towards new kinds of inequality, uh, whether it's a merchants of finance or merchants of knowledge, as Shambhu Prasad calls them. But this is all most insightful. Hopefully, the policymakers are listening and hopefully something will come good out of all this. Thank you.
0: You were listening to Social Groove on Red Podcast.